So can God's grace in salvation be resisted? Or is it irresistible, as some people believe? Well, that debate's been going on for over 400 years, so let's talk about it on Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you? Who are so wise? Well, let's get into the uh, Wayback Machine into the 16th century of Europe, and it's about the time of the Reformation. Two theologians led the way, Martin Luther in Germany, a former Roman Catholic priest, and John Calvin in Geneva, a humanist, a writer, and a thinker. We may think of him as an early influencer with pen and paper. Luther broke with the Roman Catholic Church by nailing 95 theses of uh, statements uh, pointing to the reforms that were needed in the Catholic Church of his day on the Wittenberg door in um, October 31st of 1517. John Calvin, born in 1509, also broke with the Catholic Church in 1530. Because of his writings, he was forced to leave his homeland of France and took refuge in Geneva, Switzerland, where he died in 1564 after serving many years as a theologian, a pastor, a teacher, and even as city administrator. There's another name that you need to know, but you may not have heard of him before, and that is Jacob Arminius. But you've probably heard of Arminianism. Jacob Arminius was born in Udewater, Netherlands in 1560, uh, four years before Calvin died. Arminius died in 1609 in Leiden. As a Dutch pastor and professor, Arminius began as a Calvinist, but later he refuted much of Calvin's doctrine. As a popular professor at the University of Leiden, Arminius presented five articles of faith that repudiated Calvin's theology. He gained many followers, and among them were several pastors. His followers came to be known as the Remonstrants, uh, meaning protest or protesters. Uh, this cohort of pastors and professors rejected five theological positions of Calvin, especially the doctrine of predestination, which, te which teaches that God elects or chooses those who will be saved from before the foundation of the world, and then he saves them in their time. Arminius' theology was gaining ground in the Netherlands and uh, was setting the stage for a clash between the followers of Calvin and the followers of Arminius. International complications clouded the debate, but they're not as important to our discussion. However, the Dutch Estates General, much like our own House of Representatives and Senate, ordered the convening of an assembly of church leaders to put an end to this debate. The assembly, known as the Synod of Dort, met in the city of Dortrecht, the Netherlands, in 1618. This council of theologians and pastors and professors met for almost a full year until 1619. And at the end of the meetings, the council refuted Arminius's five points of theology. Now, this is how we got the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, standing for Total Depravity, Unconditional Election, Limited Atonement, and the Perseverance of the Saints. Now, I'll do another Wisdom 828 to deal with that, but it's important to understand that Tulip was not the creation of John Calvin. He died before the Synod met. The Tulip came from the Synod's five points uh, response to Arminius's five-point protest against Calvinism. Perhaps it's a bit ironic that uh, the world's finest Tulips come from the Netherlands, where they were introduced in the 1600s. 
Now this mini history is a backdrop that's necessary to answer the question that a viewer sent in. Could you explain your stance on prevenient grace? Does God give us all the ability to accept or reject Jesus based on our own free will? Now, in this episode, I want to explain what prevenient grace is fairly and accurately, and I hope not to misrepresent it at all. In the next episode, two weeks from now, I'll explain the counter-argument from a Reformed Baptist viewpoint. And in full disclosure, I am theologically Reformed and fall into the Reformed camp. Now, I've read Calvin's Institutes from cover to cover, and I found Calvin to be pastoral in all of his writings, despite some of the differences I might have with him. But I also have friends in the broadly Arminian camp. So let's begin with the definition of prevenient grace. The word itself comes from a Latin root meaning to precede. So prevenient grace is God's enabling grace that goes before the work of God's Spirit, preparing the human heart for the gospel by loosening the grip of sin on the unbeliever's heart. Once that grip is loosened, then the person can choose to believe in Christ by exercising his or her faith or continue to reject that grace and go on living as an unbeliever. The decisive factor in a person's salvation is the person himself or herself and the exercise of freedom to determine which way that person will choose. Arminians believe that many will resist God's prevenient grace and never choose to come to Christ in faith, but they defend this grace for a preparation as a defense for the belief in the free will. They take this doctrine of free will from the Bible, they say. They recognize that the Bible is filled with commands to act. You know, for example, people are called to repent, to believe, to come to Christ, and to decide to choose life or death. But Arminians know that humans are not able to obey of their own strength and offer uh, prevenient grace as a kind of bridge between human depravity, which keeps people from believing, and exercising their free will to believe in Christ. Arminians believe it is this preparing grace that is the sovereign act of God to lift the human race out of its depravity so that we might believe in Christ by an act of our free will. The salvation of a sinner then depends on two things, God's prevenient grace plus the sinner's freed will. But there is no guarantee of salvation for the unbeliever. Prevenient grace is a, a doctrine that opposes predestination and election, while at the same time protecting the doctrine of the human free will. Now, I've heard people often say that predestination doesn't mean that God chooses who he will save. Rather, it means that God looks down the corridors of time, he sees who uh, will freely choose Christ, and then he saves them on the basis of their choosing. Regeneration or the new birth doesn't take place in the believer's soul until after he or she, uh, she chooses Christ. Now, there are generally three positions on prevenient grace. So John Wesley is the most prominent advocate associated with the teaching. Wesley's position was straightforward. Because of the atoning work of Christ, God dispensed a universal prevenient grace that fully negates human depravity. God act of, uh, God's act of universal prevenient grace put humanity in a kind of neutral state. It freed people to choose to follow Christ and his teachings. 
Wesley believed that Christ's cross purchased this grace and is now available to all people without limitations. His idea must be distinguished from the teaching of universalism, however. Universal grace teaches that everyone will be saved when Jesus returns. Wesley did not teach that doctrine. He warned against hell and sin, and he called his audiences to repentance. So the preaching of the gospel is the crucial part of the preceding work of the Spirit who convicts and enables the sinner to respond to the offer of Christ's salvation. Now, what scriptures do Arminians uh, like Wesley use to support this doctrine? Well, uh, Wesley leaned on four of them. In them, you can hear the universal call to repent and believe Christ. The first is John 1, 9, and it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In John 12, 32, Jesus is speaking and he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Romans 2, 4 or, uh, says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And then finally, Titus 2, 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The famous and widely read author and pastor, A.W. Tozer, believed in prevenient grace when he wrote this. Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace, which, briefly stated, means this, that before a man can seek God, God must first have sought the man. Before a sinful man can think a right thought of God, there must have been some kind of work of enlightenment done within him. Imperfect it may be, but a true work nonetheless, and the secret cause of all desiring and seeking and praying which may follow. Now, I think that last phrase, may follow, tips the scales of prevenient grace in the direction of the interaction of human effort in salvation with God's work. It implies at least a, a synergistic effort between God and the sinner. And as I said at the opening, now this is a two-parter, uh, so in two weeks I'll explain how the Reformed Baptist answers the doctrine of prevenient grace and how we understand the work of God's grace in the lives of sinners that bring them uh, to salvation in Christ. So until then, thanks for joining me and thanks to Steve Dine behind the camera for producing Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You'll be of good cheer.